Thank you everyone for joining us. We're going to uh, begin our, our lesson today. If you have your Bible, uh, open up to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're in our, our study on Isaiah and this... No sound? Sorry, we're just having an issue with the sound. Is the sound coming through now? I'm just double checking that. If you can open up your Bible to Luke chapter 4, if you have uh, a Bible in front of you. Okay, we'll use this microphone. We'll get this sorted out by next week. Uh, we knew that something was going to go wrong this week, so... Oh, well. In, uh, in Luke chapter 4, if you open up to Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to uh, begin our lesson this morning. So, we've been looking through Isaiah all of this month. This is the fifth lesson that we've been looking at. And we're up to Isaiah chapter 61. If you remember, we started in Isaiah chapter 1 and we looked at um, the problem that was there. And the problem is straightforward. The problem is sin. Sin was the reason why God had broken his contract with the children of Israel. Sin was a, a disease that had seeped into their nation and was prevalent, not just in the, the people, but even in the priests, even in the religious people. Then we turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and we looked at the solution. And the solution is found in Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We looked at the fact that the solution to sin would be found in a new king sitting on the throne a son of David that was to come, a child that would be born who would be the true king of Israel, the true descendant of David who would reign and conquer over sin. Then we looked at Isaiah chapter 31 and we jumped ahead there to Isaiah 31 where we examined the fact that people look to false solutions. People look to false saviours. And the saviour that they were looking to in Isaiah 31 was uh, the nation of Egypt to the south. They were presented with an option there to go to Egypt to look for help when trouble was at their doorstep. And God said, don't go to Egypt, instead turn to God in times of trouble. And we looked in that lesson at the fact that we all have our Egypt, we all have our horses and chariots that we tend to trust in. When times get bad, we turn to TV, or we turn to binge eating, or we turn to uh, a happy place that we've created, some kind of place where we can go to to escape from the troubles that are in our life. We all have our Egypt and God tells us that that is a temporary um, painkiller and not an actual solution to the problem that we have. And of course, last week, um, Danny gave an excellent lesson on Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is about the cost. The cost was, of course, the sacrifice that God made, the wounds of God's Son would bring healing to all people. And so we finish up in Isaiah 61 today, and Isaiah 61 is a chapter of hope. It's a, uh, Isaiah is a book of hard times. It's a book where things are going from bad to worse, and um, they were uncertain about their future. They were anxious about the state of the world. Sounds very familiar to the week that um, a lot of us have had. They've had bad news. They've had um, big society upheavals. They've had an incredible number of things to worry about. 
And Isaiah 61 says, in, in the midst of all of that anxiety and uncertainty, there is a future of hope to come. So I want to transport you back to Nazareth. I want to take you to the town of Nazareth when Jesus was 30 years old. It's a small town. And when we say it's a small town, we mean it's really small. It had maybe 500 people max in it. So everyone knew everyone's name. Everyone knew where everyone came from. Everyone knew where everyone worked and what everyone did. It was mostly Jewish. So on the Sabbath day, you would have most of the town going to the synagogue for a synagogue worship service. It's very similar to the service that we have today without the live streaming and the Ethernet cables, of course. But apart from that, it had a lot of similarities. They would gather for a prayer. They would sing some songs together. They would have a collection box there for those who want to contribute. They would also have a reading from Scripture. And then after the reading, someone, a, uh, one of the men would get up, perhaps a visiting speaker, if they had someone new in town, um, would come and they would read the Scripture and then they would give their interpretation and application to it. Very similar to what we are doing right now. Um, interestingly, they used to stand up when they read scripture and then after they were finished reading scripture, they would sit down and they would deliver the message to differentiate between what was the words of God and the words of man. Of course, we could still do that today. It wouldn't mean much if you're listening via teleconference, but, uh, but the, the, the idea behind that concept is wonderful to distinguish what is God's word and what is man's opinion. So Jesus had turned 30. He's at a transition point in his life. Um, perhaps you've had a, a, a transition point in your life where you've changed career or you've moved town. And, and there are a lot of things that go along with that. And, and there are a lot of stresses and anxieties about the best way to do it. But his transition was going from being a carpenter in a small town of 500 people to being the saviour of the world. He had to tell people that people who had known him his whole life, people who knew this, this carpenter that you know maybe helped build a chair or helped build their house or whatever it might have been, he had to try and break the news gently to these people that he was indeed the son of God all along, that he was the true king of Israel, that he had come to save their souls. Career changes are, are difficult at the best of times, but I think will admit that this is another step altogether. So he'd been baptised by John. He went into the wilderness and he was tempted there um, by the Satan. Then he returned to Galilee. And if you're in Luke chapter 4, we'll read uh, verses 14 and 15 there. And this is where we're picking up our story. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he went to this region where he'd been brought up and he went to their synagogues and, and he started teaching at these different synagogues. And we don't have all of his sermons written down, we just have a couple of them. And then in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Okay, so this is what's happened. He's come to his hometown. He's come on the Sabbath day, the day when all of the Jews would get together to worship God. 
he, because he is a, a visiting speaker, because he's been touring around, he is invited to deliver the message that day. He's handed the scroll with the scripture and he stands up to read because it's, he's about to read the word of God. And it says in verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he went searching. He, he, found, he wanted to read. This wasn't a random verse. He, he found this place and he wanted to deliver a message from this part of Isaiah. And, and as you may have guessed, this is from Isaiah chapter 61, the chapter that we're studying this morning. And in verse 16... Sorry, in verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, to us, that might just seem like another Old Testament verse that we don't understand the concept or, or the context to. But the Jews knew that this was an especially important piece of scripture. And we're going to look at why that is in, in just a little bit. But I want you to look at what happens next. In verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So he's stood up, he's delivered his reading from scripture, and then he sits down. And this is where he gives his interpretation and explanation of what the scriptures mean. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. You know, there were reports going around that something special had happened when he was baptised out at the Jordan River, that the heavens had opened up and that God had said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There were reports that he was teaching in the synagogues around him and drawing a crowd to him. There were reports that he was talking about a new kingdom. And he's turned to a very exciting piece of scripture for the Jews. And he's read it. And they want to know what he's saying about it. And this is what every, everyone's got their eyes on him. It says in verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a beautiful sermon. It's really short. It's only a couple of words long. But the message is sharp. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in in your hearing. The word has been is in the perfect tense in the Greek. It means it has been and will continue forever to be fulfilled in your hearing. And this is what happened. It's a, it's a bit weird. Let's read the uh, verses 22 to verse 30 because this is where the story kind of gets strange. It says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So if you've ever had to make a, a career change in your life, 
And as you were telling it to your friends and family, their conclusion was that it was best to throw you down a a cliff. You know that it's gone wrong somehow. You know that somehow things have gone badly here. So what went so badly? Why did they go from hearing him quoting scripture to them wanting to throw him down a cliff? Now let's turn to Isaiah 61 and figure out why this piece was so contentious. So turn in your Bible to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, and we won't read the whole passage this morning, but I encourage you to read that afterwards. We're just going to start in verse 1 there. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, if you've read Isaiah recently, you know what this means. If you were reading through the whole book of Isaiah this morning before you tuned in, you'll know what this phrase means. But just in case you didn't read Isaiah this morning before you came, let me fill you in. So in chapter 11 and verse 2, and in chapter 42 and verse 1, and in chapter 48 and verse 16, this phrase is is used in a similar vein. And, And always when it's talking about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah is referring to the coming servant. He's referring to the servant who's going to sit on the throne of David, the servant who's going to, like Moses, lead the people out of captivity. He's talking about the one who... The Father will delight in. He's talking about the one who will come, who will accomplish God's redemptive purpose. So when Jesus quotes this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and when he says, this is accomplished in your hearing, he is claiming to be the servant that Isaiah is talking about. But it gets more explosive. The next phrase in Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, Because the Lord has anointed me. So the Hebrew word for anointed there is the word meshach. In Greek it's Messiah or Christ. The word Messiah, we think of it as a title, but it's not a title, it's a description. So in in the Bible there are all sorts of people that are called Messiahs. In the Old Testament you have kings who are called the Messiah, you have priests who are called the Messiah, you have prophets who are called the Messiah. Even in 1 John 2 and verse 20 we are called the anointed, the the Messiahs, the chrisma, um, meaning the people who God has chosen for a particular purpose. It means if you are in Christ, if you have believed in Christ and been faithful to him, God has anointed you for the purpose of serving him. In Isaiah 61, though, this is a very special um, anointing. Isaiah is going to tell you what is so special about this anointing in the next couple of verses. So he says in Isaiah 61 uh, and the next couple of phrases there, to bring good news to the poor. So remember that the word good news there is also the word gospel. So think of when Jesus um, went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, Matthew 4 and verse 23. So this Messiah, this anointed person, has the task of preaching to the poor, preaching good news to the poor. He's also got the task there, the next verse, he's sent me to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted. We might think brokenhearted, you're probably thinking, oh, like in a rom-com, like you're thinking Sandra Bullock or Meg Ryan in one of those classic rom-coms where she loses the guy and then she's brokenhearted. And that's, what, that's not what Isaiah is talking about at all. He's talking about 
This word, brokenhearted, the word shabor in Hebrew can also be translated to break down, to break off, to break in pieces, to crush or to destroy. He's not talking about people who are suffering some romantic loss in their life. He's talking about people who have been crushed in their life. And then he says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And you think, what, what's this talking about? Okay, we're just, if you're following along through the live streaming, we're just um, changing over the camera now. The battery's just gone flat on us, um, but you should be able to still hear um, what's coming through. So you think, what is this talking about? Proclaiming liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to the brown, you know, to the, to the bound. Is this talking about a slave rebellion? Is this talking about Spartacus? Is this talking about the Messiah, you know, leading a jailbreak or something? Um, and then you, you have to understand that that's not the context at all. Isaiah is not speaking randomly here. Isaiah is actually quoting and referring to a concept that's found in your other favourite book, Leviticus. So if you have your Bible, turn to Leviticus 25 with me. Leviticus 25. And you'll see what Isaiah is talking about when he's talking about the good news to the poor, the healing, the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to the captives. So in Leviticus 25, and we'll read verses 1 through, six, 1 through 7. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather it in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyards. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. So the Jews had a lot of festivals to keep. They had to keep the Passover, they had to keep the Feast of Trumpets, they had to keep um, the Feast of Booths, and they had to keep the Sabbath, which meant every seven days they had to take a rest. They also had to take a Sabbath year, so every seven years you have to not sow any seed and you have to not prune your vineyards, you're going to give rest to your land. We also know from Deuteronomy 15 verses 1 through 6, you also have to free any slaves that you have and cancel any debts that you have. So imagine doing this today. Imagine how radical this is. Every seven years, all debts are forgiven. So if you've been to uni and you've just got a $40,000 hex debt and it comes up to the Sabbath year, everything's forgiven. If you've just got a home loan and the next year is the Sabbath year, all your debts are gone. If you've just, you know, gone out and bought your Maserati and got a massive car loan for it, and the next year is the Sabbath year, you're doing well. There are still some Jews today who still practice the Sabbath year. And I did some calculations, and it actually comes up next year. So if you want a big loan that you don't have to repay to someone, go and find someone who's still practicing the Sabbath year and test them out to see if you can get a loan from them and then have it cleared next year. 
So every Sabbath year, all the debts are cancelled, all the slaves are free, all the fields get their rest. And then, not every seven years, but every seven times seven years, you get a jubilee year, which is like a super Sabbath year, which means not only do all the debts, not only are all the debts cancelled and all the slaves are free and all the land lies and, and gets a rest that year, but if you have land that belongs to someone else, you have to give it back. So if you're from the tribe of Manasseh and you've bought some land that belongs to someone from the tribe of Simeon, you just have to give it up. Not sell it back, but you have to give it up. You have to give everything back. Here's the point. The law of the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year is about protecting the poor. It's about helping people who have broken lives. It's about freeing people who are enslaved or are in captivity. And this is the year when God's grace allows people to get their lives back together again. And guess what? Throughout the whole Old Testament, we have no evidence that they ever practiced the Sabbath year because it was so difficult to forgive everyone all their debts and to give all your land back and to free all your slaves. It was much easier to ignore that law. So let's read through Isaiah 61 and verse 1 again, and you'll notice what Isaiah is talking about. He doesn't quote from Leviticus 25, but he's certainly referencing the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year in in the fact that he's sharing the same words, he's taking the same words out of Leviticus 25 and saying the Messiah is going to bring a new type of jubilee. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, he's messiahed me, he's chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And the next line there is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What's the year of the Lord's favour? It's the year of the Sabbath. It's the Jubilee year, the year when all of the debts are forgiven, when all the slaves are free. And so the Jews read Isaiah 61 and they looked forward to the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate Sabbath year that would come when the Messiah came. And, I was, and Jesus says, we're in it. We're in jubilee now. I'm preaching good news to poor people. I'm healing the people who are broken, who are crushed, who, who are oppressed. I'm proclaiming liberty to people who are enslaved. Now, he didn't go and, and set all of the slaves free. He didn't go and jailbreak all, all throughout Judea. He set people free from the things that were truly enslaving them, the sin, the iniquity that was ruling people's lives. So I want to finish by thinking about this. In times of uncertainty like this, in times where we have anxiety and worry, there are a lot of things that you can't control. You can't control the spread of COVID-19 across the world. You can't control your employment status at the moment. And unless you're a microbiologist, you can't control the development of a vaccine. You can't control how our government is going to respond. You can't control the policy decisions that are going to greatly impact your family and your financial strain. And it's easy and it's normal to spend weeks like this thinking about these things and obsessing about these things. But Christ says, you need to think about something different. Christ says, rise above those thoughts and set your mind on things above. Colossians 3 and verse 1. 
as much as it is in your control. Set your minds on whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, things of good report, anything virtuous and anything worthy of praise. Philippians 4 and verse 8. So set your minds in times like this on things that are certain. Set your mind on the fact that we live in the Jubilee. That Jesus has brought the true Sabbath year to us who believe in him. We have our debts forgiven constantly. This is better than getting your hex debt removed. This is better than getting your home loan removed. You have your sins, the debt of your sins forgiven forever. He's come and he's set the slaves free. He's come to people who are broken and crushed and he's healed them. And he's come to we who are poor and he's preached good news to us. And Jesus reads this passage, Isaiah 61, and he says, these things have been and will be fulfilled from now on forever. Hebrews 13 verse 6 says, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? 